I think we've all learned through this journey on sustainability and now as it moves over into regenerative ag that you can't cookie cutter this thing. What we do in North Dakota might be very different than what we do in Idaho. Welcome to The Future Faster, a sustainable agriculture podcast by Nutrient Ag Solutions with our very own Tom Daniel, Director of Retail Sustainable Ag, and Dr. Sally Fliss, Senior Manager, Sustainability Field. This is your opportunity to learn about the next horizon in sustainable agriculture for growers, for partners, for the planet. To us, it's not about changing what's always worked. It's about continuing to do the little things that make a big impact. On this week's episode, Shireen White, a general manager of the Annex at Ardent Mills, joins us to discuss how they're generating new revenue under the sustainable and regenerative ag labels. As a major processor of wheat and other products, their ongoing partnership with Nutrient Ag Solutions has resulted in promising results from pilot sites across North America. But if you haven't yet, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast in your favorite app. Also, make sure you follow Nutrient Ag Solutions on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Dusty Weiss, and it's time once again to introduce Tom Daniel and Sally Fliss. And Tom, on our last episode, we spoke about the different marketing opportunities that growers have by selling their crop to a downstream partner who is marketing their products as organic, sustainably produced, non-GMO or regenerative ag. Could you just elaborate a little bit more on how and why these new markets are gaining traction? Dusty, a lot of it is around consumers right now. As markets are being developed, you know, we've heard the term, as you said, organic, regenerative, non-GMO, even gluten-free have all of these different categories developed for marketing. So consumers are asking for those particular products or those types of labeling. Our manufacturing groups, our downstream processors from Nutrien, for instance, they're producing those products in a certain way that they believe creates more value. I was looking at a recent survey that just came out by the Stifle institutional group and they said 83% of consumers today are asking for products that are focused on sustainability. In other words, the products they're purchasing were sustainably sourced. And to me, that has gotten to be just a huge issue in the marketplace. And the key thing is there's a lot of dollars being exchanged by customers who are speaking with their wallets that are willing to pay extra for products that have sustainability metrics. And I know, Sally, you and I have talked about this enough number of times, but there seems to be just a tremendous consumer demand for sustainably produced products, and it's creating value now. The question is, can we create that value and bring that back to the grower base? Right, Tom. And it's a really interesting survey to take a look at what consumers are thinking. And they break it out into a bunch of different categories. And it was actually just done in May of 2021. So it's really recent information. And when you look at how these consumers are defining sustainability, they've got 22 different ways that they're thinking about sustainability when they're evaluating a product or a brand that they're going to buy from. Everything from ethical and social priorities of that company company to really detailed environmental priorities like the ones we talk about all the time, protecting local environments and ecosystems, using less energy and water, achieving carbon neutrality, reducing carbon emissions, and how that ties back to us as ag retail and to the grower is those energy and carbon and water goals that those brands talk about, as we talked about in the last episode, go all the way back down to the grower producing the product. So when one of these downstream brands or retail marketers talks about their carbon footprint or water use efficiency or water quality, they have to take into account 
all of the carbon emissions associated with creating that product, starting with the fertilizer use in the field, all the way up through transportation, distribution, and even in some cases, depending on the product type, how long does a consumer usually keep that product for? And what's the lifetime of that product goes into that total sustainability analysis? So Sally, in your opinion, does the consumer demand that we've just talked about, that 83% of consumers willing to pay for products that are produced sustainably, do you think that's going to create value for our grower customers? I think it needs to, Tom. I think in order for these companies and brands to meet their goals, they're going to need to share that value back down the supply chain. Because as we've seen and talked about on previous episodes, collecting the data so that these companies can make valid data-supported claims takes a lot of time and effort. It's not simple. It's a lot of information when we look at an individual farm or an individual field, and then it's modeling and soil sampling or even water quality sampling. It's a lot that goes goes into creating these metrics for these brands. And so there needs to be some pushback from the growers on, and I think Jack said this in the episode we did with him, some of this reporting now and the carbon market piece have really shown growers that there is value to my data and I'm going to only share it if I get paid for the value that's in that data. And so I think there's really an opportunity for growers to push back on getting a piece of the value that these companies are seeing in the market. So Sally, before we go on to another question, let me ask you a question. You mentioned that four-letter word that starts with D again, data. We seem to come back to that almost every time. Are growers going to have to just get used to finding a place to keep their data recorded so it'll be available for any of these markets that open up, whether it be a consumer market-driven program or maybe it's a carbon program, but it still all goes back to data. Yeah, no, I think it really has to. I think there's been enough companies called out for greenwashing and just saying they're doing sustainable stuff and not having the data or the information or the connections to support that they're really doing that. Even some discussions I heard about this week at other conferences where some of these companies that are out there trying to sign growers up for projects are getting pushback from the brand saying, okay, well, you're out there trying to sign up growers to do more sustainable work. How are you trying to make your company and your production and your distribution and your retail sales more sustainable Or are you just asking growers to do this for you? In other words, I'll pay the grower to make my changes, but I don't do anything internally to do it myself, right? So, yeah, that question gets asked a lot around the offset markets in general. So one other thing, Dusty, that we've been talking about this week, too, is traceability. Now, that's different from sustainability, but the two can be tied together. So if we have a customer or a grower that is specifically engaged in a sustainability project, his crop consultant has helped him put together a outcome-based solution that's aimed toward a particular environmental outcome. Let's just call it low greenhouse gas produced wheat today then can we track that or trace it, as we call it, from the field all the way through all the different supply patterns all the way to the consumer shelf? So traceability says that we're going to track specifically that produced bushel of grain on that particular acre and trace it all the way through the supply chain where the consumer actually has confidence in where that product's coming from. So they're buying a product off the shelf that they know was produced using sustainability metrics or low greenhouse gas. 
gas, carbon, whatever it may be. So those are what we're talking about when we're talking about traceability today, actually creating a line of tracking for that product all the way through the system. And Sally, that sounds like a pretty broad task because one of the key things we have with traceability is we have to keep that product, as we call it, identity preserved in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And that is a difficult thing to do. Yeah, our grain handling systems for the most part in the country are just not set up for that kind of segregation. It'll be scalable when more growers are involved in it, right? So that at a grain processing facility for corn, grain, or soybeans, for example, they can have a big bin where they know all of its identity preserved in one bin, even though it might be from multiple growers. Some commodities are going to be really hard to track back depending on what level you want to track them to. To the field level, a lot of our commodities are going to be hard to track down to that scale. But for products where there's smaller mills or we're able to have some segregation, then you can do that. One of the things I struggle with with traceability, Tom, is some of the traceability is just traceability and some of the traceability is tied back to improve sustainability practices. And so it can be another thing like we talked about last week of are we doing traceability to really trace a sustainable practice or is traceability just another one of these labeling approaches a company can take and there may or may not be improved environmental performance tied to that traceability, but we can trace it back to some point in the supply chain. So it's just another thing to keep an eye out for as we think about traceability and sustainability is are those things really tied together or are we doing traceability because maybe we have the technology to do traceability, but we haven't gotten to the grower to do the sustainability part. Right. That's something I struggle with a bit. Yeah, and I do too. It's one thing to say that you can tell where the product was produced and what field it came from and who the grower was that produced it. The question is, did he use practices or practice changes on the farm that would qualify him for uh, sustainability labeling? I still believe, and you and I have talked about this before, I think it comes down to developing a certification method that's industry accepted and can be validated and verified by the industry that says these products were produced in the way they were labeled on the consumer shift. So I think that's important. So we're already doing some traceability work today as far as nutrients concerned around cotton, not particularly around sustainability metrics to the cotton, but more around just showing the method of tracing cotton through the system Mm -hmm. to the blue jeans you're wearing or to the hoodie that you've got or whatever, being able to track it all the way through. Now that we can do that and can prove that, then we need to be able to take it back and start looking at those sustainability measurements that we can also track through. And guys, we talk about sustainability, but grain quality or protein content, there's all kinds of different quality issues that could be tracked and traced back to the field that could create increased value for the grower. So if a grower is producing a higher protein wheat, then he can get paid for that because that particular wheat's being traced through the marketplace and not just being co-blended with all kinds of other wheat. It is being identity preserved so that it can receive a higher payment at the end of the consumer chain. Right. And the traceability and sustainability are both challenging pathways to figure out. And that's why we've kind of had this two-pronged approach to let's figure out how do we do traceability and let's figure out how we collect that data and work with growers to drive that continuous improvement on sustainability and then try and tie the two of them together because the volume of data and the amount of interaction with the grower 
trying to do both at the same time, we don't want to discourage growers or crop consultants in participating because we've just got an overwhelming system as we try and tie all these things together. So Dusty, that's kind of how this stands today. Yeah. We think this is going to be a groundbreaking piece. You know, we talk about carbon being the tip of the spear, but we see this as being the whole spear. Well, and to me, it really kind of harkens back to something that we've been hearing from growers for years, decades now even, is that people think their food comes from the grocery store. Well, no, it doesn't. We've been saying it for years, but now as this traceability continues to develop, we're going to be able to show them that it didn't just come from the grocery store. It came from Bob Johnson's field over yonder, and these are the practices that he used. And so it's exciting from that regard. And guys, we certainly have talked about a lot of concepts here on this show, but coming up after the break here, we're actually going to dive into it with an organization that has deployed these practices in the field. We're going to talk real-world case studies. That's in a moment here on The Future Faster. FarmSmart is the core of Nutrient Ag Solutions sustainable agriculture offerings, leading the field with growers to record positive environmental impacts while identifying and embracing new revenue streams. In leveraging practices and products and recording your outcomes, your reward for making informed agronomic decisions will be waiting for you in our digital sustainability platform. The data you input can help set a baseline, identify opportunities for continued improvement, and help qualify you for market access opportunities. We're here to maximize incentives and help ensure the legacy of your operation. Getting started with FarmSmart is easy. Log in or create an account with Agrable. Then track your data and get paid. Getting started now means we can get to the future faster. FarmSmart, where sustainability meets opportunity. NutrientActSolutions.com slash FarmSmart. This is The Future Faster, a sustainable agriculture podcast by Nutrient Ag Solutions. I'm Dusty Weiss, along with Tom Daniel and Sally Fliss, and we're joined now by Shireen White, General Manager of the Annex at Ardent Mills. Shireen, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here today. So to begin, we want to learn a little bit more about Ardent Mills and what you guys have going on over there. Can you introduce Ardent Mills to our listeners and explain the company's position and role in food processing and manufacturing? Yeah, I would love to. So Ardent Mills is a joint venture between the companies of Cargill, ConAgra, and CHS. We are the largest flour milling company in the U.S. today. We have over 35 flour mills scattered across our footprint from Canada, across the U.S., East Coast, West Coast, down into Puerto Rico. We have a couple mixed plants. We have a bakery. And recently in the last year and a half, we've really started to expand our footprint into the alternative grain space. So we've acquired a gluten-free quinoa cleaning facility in Yuba City, California. We have an organic elevator in Klamath Falls, Oregon. We, in June, purchased the Henrix Trading Company, which is really focused on plant-forward, plant-based, and chickpeas. And recently, we just announced the intent to purchase the business acquisition of Fire Firebird Artisan Mills in Harvey, North Dakota, which is a gluten-free flour milling company. So really excited to be able to add all of these new innovative products to our customers that we serve on the flour side of the business. 
Shireen, it's good to visit with you again today. Tom and I on the last couple episodes have been talking a lot about all the different labels that we all see out there and all the different things that growers are being asked from their downstream partners. And so first question for you is how do you guys at Arnett Mill define either regenerative or sustainable ag or how do those things align or differ for you guys as you talk to your customers that are using the products that our growers are producing? I think for us, you know, with regenerative ag, it can mean a lot of different things for different people, depending on who you talk to. So our vision and our statement around regenerative ag is to create a more sustainable future for crop production by ensuring highly productive and profitable farmland and improving soil health and conserving water. So it's really wanting to focus on what the growers are doing and how we can help add and give them tools in their toolbox. And for us, it's helping our customers connect all the way from the farm through folks like yourselves that are our third-party help right there with boots on the ground, all the way through to what our customers are doing and then reaching that consumer who's really the one that is becoming more educated in this space and really driving the market here. So, Shireen, on the segment just before this, on the opening part of this podcast, Sally and I talked about the value of sustainability as far as labeling in the marketplace today and the fact that consumers are asking for products that have been produced sustainably, have sustainable sourcing to them. What kind of value have you seen within Arden Mills in that type of labeling? And do you see consumers asking for that? You know, Tom, we see consumers asking for that all the time. And, you know, we don't produce anything today that goes into a package that would hit directly to a consumer. We don't have our own brand or anything like that on the market, but our customers do. And what we see in some of the research that we've been doing around what the consumer is looking for and what they're asking of our customers has been pretty amazing over the last year, even through COVID. We continue to see that consumer really wanting to make purchases that are both well-being for them from a health perspective, but also better for the environment, better for the planet. And four in 10 consumers believe that their own choices about food and beverage purchases can have an impact on the environment. And so that becomes, you know, a really powerful thing from the market. And we've seen that even sustainably marketed products enjoy a sizable price premium over conventionally marketed products. And they're even starting to drive growth. And it doesn't matter which product you're looking at, but in about 90% of the individual product categories, the growth of sustainably marketed products outpace the growth of their respective categories. So for us, we look at pet food, we look at cereal, we look at bakery and meals and snacks. It really doesn't matter which food product we're working with or which consumer or customer we're working with. We see that the consumer is asking questions. They're trying to understand regenerative ag and they want to have that connection. So really we're seeing consumers, they're voting with their wallets, as we say, around sustainability. That is true, sir. So Shireen, we've gotten to know you guys from working on a project that we've had going for a couple of years now. This year, we're looking to work with 250,000 acres of wheat production across the U.S. Can you talk a little bit about some of the metrics that you guys are excited to see or interested to see as they come out of the data we're collecting on that 250,000 acres? Yeah, Sally, on our 250,000 acres, what we're 
really focused on are those farming practices that help increase organic matter, nutrient density, and water infiltration. And so those are three overarching buckets that we talk to our customers about. But when you get down into those key metrics, it's the land resource efficiencies, it's energy, water quality, greenhouse gas, soil erosion, like I said, the water efficiency and nutrient use. And so for us, it's understanding those metrics and setting those baselines. So as we work together with our growers, we can start to see the improvements that we see from the farmers as they implement the tools that you guys bring out to the farm. So Shireen, a follow-up question to that. We've been working with Arden Mills now for what? This will be our second or third year. And why Nutrient Ag Solutions? What drives you for a partnership with our organization? You know, when Ardent started down this journey, when we were formed back in 2014, there was just a few of us that were part of the sustainability team and we were mapping out our pillars. And I've always had a strong passion around this agriculture space. And I've bought wheat from farmers for many, many, many years in my career that supply the flour mills. And so just being out on the farm with them, seeing some of the struggles that they go through and they're stewards of the land, right? I'm never going to be the one that's going to go out on the farm and tell them what to do. But as we started to form this program for Ardent, Mills. It was me and another gentleman. And we would jump in the car and go to Idaho and try to walk the fields with the growers and talk to them about being part of a program. And we quickly realized that we're not the agronomists. We're not the specialty folks in this space. We can come and talk to them about a connection back to our customer or to a consumer or, you know, look at your product as in this box of goldfish. But it was really having a program that meant something to the grower. We didn't want to just check the box. We didn't want to just go out and ask them to fill out one more survey. We wanted something that was meaningful and substantial and could increase their ROI on the farm. And as we looked at different companies in this space, we were really, really impressed with your teams that are out there in the field. We've had a couple different grower meetings and the connection that you guys were able to make with those farmers really meant a lot to us. And you guys have been a great partner as we've built this program from scratch. And I think the first couple of years, we were really excited that we had, you know, maybe 8,000 acres in the program. And now we're launching a program here with 250,000 acres. And we truly believe that that's due to the partnership that we have with you and your team. On our side, Shireen, on that 250,000 acres, we are collecting every field pass that those growers do for their wheat crop in order to measure and calculate the sustainability metrics that you guys are looking for. Do you see as you talk to your customers that they're looking for specific sustainability metrics? I know one of the things we've talked about in previous meetings is we really try and take this whole acre solution approach of it shouldn't just be about implementing one practice or one product in order to get a number. We really want to work, like you say, we have these great connections with our growers. We really want to work to find the best return on investment for improved sustainability. Do you guys get lots of questions from your customers for practice specific changes or really specific kind of stuff? And how does that conversation go with a customer when they're looking for something specific, but you're working with us who are really looking for that whole acre solution and you guys have a passion for really improving that whole operation too? You know, Sally, sometimes I think it's just education with that customer and bringing them along in the journey. We have customers that are really just barely starting to scratch the surface. And some, like you said, that have been in this for a really long time, they have very specific goals that they're making, you know, high up in their company on very specific platforms. And so for us, it's just one, getting in and just understanding what are the needs of their customer? What claims are they making? And how can we help them get to those claims? And 
I think we've all learned through, you know, this journey on sustainability and now as it moves over into regenerative ag that you can't cookie cutter this thing. And so when we can have those types of conversations with our customers to say, hey, you know what, what we do in North Dakota might be very different than what we do in Idaho and just helping them understand why. They're very open to that because, again, it's we're not the grower and it's how can we help them put that story together that makes the most sense based on where they might be sourcing their flour from or how that backs up into the different supply chains. And where I get really excited and you guys have heard me talk about this before is having that relationship with a grower across these different growing regions. It's opening up many different avenues for us where it's not just wheat anymore. It might be wheat followed by a chickpea or canola. There's just going to be so many different opportunities as we look at regenerative ag and always having something in the soil. It becomes a really cool story for our customers. So Shireen, I'm going to jump in here real quick, but something you just said really kind of drove home with me. We have to recognize that the solutions that we talk about, and we try to develop whole acre solutions at the grower level that lead to a certain environmental outcome, whatever the consumer may be asking for that you're trying to measure here. Let's just say it's a a low greenhouse gas number maybe on the produced wheat. But every locality will be different on how we get to that outcome. Some areas will be able to do this practice, but other areas may not be able to. So the key thing is, is that we can touch all the acres and create a localized solutions that match up to whatever your customer's needs are. And I'm going to ask you this question because we talk about customers. So for Nutrien, we talk about customers. We're actually talking about the grower. But for Arden Mills, when you say customers, who are some customers and how are they asking for some of these different things? You know, I think it's interesting, Tom. We also think of the grower as a customer. Like I said, those 35 flour mills, we look at those as community mills. And so we're working with those growers every day and we feel like we have an obligation to help them succeed and understand what's going to be that next thing everybody's asking for in the market. And so I would agree. We too have those customers, but some of the ones that we can share are partners that we've done with, you know, Campbell's, and Kellogg's, we've got some programs going on with them. We've worked with Panera in the past. But with this new program, and as we've launched our 250,000 acres, we have a lot of new opportunities coming into the pipeline. And as we get some of those solidified, uh, maybe you can have me come back another time we can talk about those. Oh, we'd love for that <laughs> to happen. So For sure. Uh, Shireen, there's kind of two parts to the project that we're working on with you guys. One is setting a baseline for where the growers that are producing wheat in these different regions, all the way from Montana to the Chesapeake Bay and the projects that we're working on with you guys. And the other piece is implementing these whole acre solutions. So as you've looked at some of the baseline practices that are happening in the field, what has been your reaction to, say, in Kansas, where most of the growers we're working with are long-term no-tillers? You know, how has that data impacted what you guys have thought about in how you set your goals and how you communicate to customers? You know, I think that for us, like we said earlier, it's really understanding what works best for those growers. And We found as people jump into the sustainability space or regenerative ag, those are some of those first questions. Oh, well, we want to take everybody to no-till. And so for us, it's helping educate them that, you know, some farmers can do no-till, some can do minimum till, some have to till. It just depends on where they're located and what their rotations are. But again, I think for us in that Kansas location, it's understanding where a farmer might see a gap. 
And how can we help them fill that gap with some of the tools that you guys bring to the table? So again, not only do we look at it from a region perspective, but I think just the work we can do with you and understanding where a farmer might be struggling, that's where we can come and bring some of these tools. And like I said, for us, setting the baseline and starting to build that story is what's really important. And these farmers have really cool stories to tell. They're working really hard, like I said before, they're stewards of the land. And so how can we just help them get better and tell the right story back out to the consumer? Shireen, I got a quick question for you around identity preserved. And obviously, identity preserved grain would be the ability to keep it segregated, the particular field or crop segregated by its wheat production or whatever the commodity may be, and being able then to trace that through the commodity chain where a consumer can actually see where the product was produced or know where it came from. Where do you see that going? And do you think, is that going to create a value proposition in the marketplace that even maybe a grower could participate? You know, Tom, we look at identity preserve programs quite a bit in our business. We've got a couple of different programs that we do today with hard white wheat in Kansas and Colorado and Idaho. I think right now, just with the nature of the wheat supply chain, identity preserved, it's really hard. When you look at the wheat, it might go from the farm to the co-op to a larger shuttle train loader. And it's just the nature of the beast with our wheat pipeline today. It can be done. And we have customers that see value in that. And we run very specialized programs for them. And so it can be expensive, but it can be done. And one thing that we've really tried to understand too is we know regionally where our wheat's coming from. We know regionally that we've got really good farmers within a specific region. And if a customer wants to get back to that grower level, I think that's one of the benefits of being in a program like this with you guys. We can go and we can talk to three, four, five growers in a region and we can start to build a story. And we know that that mass balance approach is working in the market today. We've done some work, just some consumer insights and understand how important is IP or identity preserved. And right now, about 93% of the consumers that we've surveyed, they believe that mass balance in a credible demonstrated version of regenerative ag is good enough right now. But I think as the consumer becomes more and more educated and they're going to start asking the right questions and asking more questions, you might see that we do need to get a little bit more closer to that IP program. But right now, the feeling in the market is participating might be enough, but you have to have the right program to back it up. And I believe that that's what our program does. We've got the metrics, we know the growers, we've got the baseline set, and we've got the program set for that continuous improvement. And I think that's what you have to have today to satisfy that need of the consumer. Shireen, it's been a great conversation. I think we're out of time, unfortunately, Dusty, but excited in the spring to have you come back on and talk to us a little bit about what did we find across this 250,000 acres for sustainability. And some of the other stuff that we're tying into, like this identity preserved of looking at quality too. So talking about the fact that not only are you guys interested in these sustainability metrics, but you recognize that we've got to maintain crop yield and quality in this whole process or everybody loses, right? So thanks again for joining us today, Shireen. Thank you guys. It was a pleasure. That's Shireen White from Ardent Mills. We really appreciate your taking the time and joining us on this episode of The Future Faster. That is going to conclude this edition of The Future Faster, The Pursuit of Sustainable Success with Nutrient Ag Solutions. New episodes arrive every other week, so make sure you subscribe in your favorite app and join us again soon. Visit futurefaster.com to learn more.
The Future Faster podcast is brought to you by Nutrient Ag Solutions with executive producer Connor Irwin, editing by Mackie McCunda, and production oversight by Lyric Kilgore III. And it's produced by Podcamp Media. Branded podcast production for businesses, podcampmedia.com. For Nutrient Ag Solutions, thanks for listening. I'm Dusty Weiss.